you will, take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel 21. Ezekiel 21. Thank you, Eric. It's so wonderful when we gather and we offer our worship to Him. For this past month, I've attempted to turn our hearts toward revival, toward the need for revival, the urgency of revival, being renewed, restored. And, and even as I do that, I know in my heart that there may be some in this room that go, why do you get all up in the air about this? I have no interest in that. I'm good. I prayed to receive Christ. Ten Sunday school, come to worship. That's why I'm here today. And I'm good. Well, if that's you, I mean no disrespect, but if that's you, more power to you. I hope it, hope it works out for you. For me, anytime God wants to renew, restore, Refresh me from the inside out. I'm all in. Because I know that I've not arrived. I know that when I got saved, this is a journey. This is not a one point. It's a journey from the time I got saved until I step on heaven's shore. And I will never arrive. And I'll be so bold to tell you, you won't either. Until we step on heaven's shore and we see the one that brought us. Two weeks ago, I began trying to turn our attention toward revival by asking, asking this question. Do you really want revival? Do you really want revival? It's a very personal question. Not do we want revival, but do you want revival? Because we will never get to the we except one by one. And we gather together. Then last week, I challenged you, are you ready for God? Are you ready for God to do something in your life that He's never done before? Oh, preacher, I don't know that I want that. Really? The creator of the universe may be offering you something that you've never experienced. Frequently in the Old Testament, He offered to take them places that they had never been before. I like to follow Him. About seven or eight years ago, I was doing a lot of study on this thing called revival as a director of missions. And I was reading a message, and you'll hear his name probably several times today, of reading a sermon that you would call it, I call it a message from Vance Havner. Now, Vance Havner was a 20th century revivalist. He was just a down-home country boy. Some of you in here may have heard him speak, but he knew how to turn a phrase, and he just had a heart for speaking plain. I was reading this message from, from Vance, and it struck a note. And it's from the Scripture. You see the, the chapter. Now, we're only going to look at two verses today, 11 and 12. And you're going to think, how in the world are we going to get any message from this? But I'm going to just tell you, this had an impact on me. And so I was reading, 
uh, uh, probably an English Standard Version at the time. You know that I preach from the Christian Standard Version, and we have a lot of versions. So here's what I want to do. Fairness and balance. I'm going to read. I'm going to let you remain seated. Still remember, this is God's Word that we're honoring. But we're going to read this, these two verses from four translations. We begin with a Christian Standard Version, and it says... A pronouncement concerning Dumon, and that'll become clear in a second. One calls to me from Seir, and this is what it says. Watchman, what is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The watchman said, morning has come, or even is coming, and also the night. If you want to ask, ask. Come back again. That's the Christian Standard Version. Now we'll move forward to the English Standard Version. Notice how it just phrases it a little differently. The oracle concerning Duma, one is calling to me from Seir, and he says, he says, what time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? The watchman says, morning comes, and also the night. If you inquire, inquire, and come back again. And then we move to the New American Standard Versions, which is really a a fine version. The oracle concerning Edom. Now all of a sudden it becomes clear. And I could just stop here and talk about Dumai and Edom and the theological and geographical and cultural things. And I could spend the whole time. But for the sake of what we're sharing today, that's not really important. Just know that Edom and Dumai are similar. And then here's the question now. Watchman? How far gone is the night? Watchman, how far gone is the night? Watchman says, morning comes, but also the night. If you would inquire, inquire. Come back again. I love the invitation. And then we will end with a new King James Version of the Bible, which is the one that I read it in originally. The burden against Dumas. He calls to me out of Seir, and this is what he said, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, the morning comes, or it's coming, also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, come back. You know, the truth is, is as I read that, and it's a personal study, some people will go, How come that spoke to you? I want to unpack that because it has great relevance for where we are today. I've entitled this message, it'll be on the screen, What of the Night? And I'm going to bring something to you. Notice that there's no punctuations. It's not a question. It's not a sentence. It's not an exclamation because the truth is that's yet to be determined. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are here with our minds focused on you. I stand here with a full heart, realizing that you want to do something special. The reason you've given us all these resources and people and things is you want to do something special and you want it to start right here. Father, I pray that 
right now that you will do work in our hearts. I pray that you will remove those distractions, the lunch that may be waiting, the cares of this life that may be distracting. I pray that you will remove all those from us that we can hear from you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's our last Sunday before we begin revival services next Sunday. If you have not, I pray that you will go when you leave this place and that you will put Sunday, next Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings on your calendar. And I pray that you'll be here Wednesday night. We're planning on having student night, youth night, and I pray that you'll be here. We set aside this time almost every year to give God a little extra space to speak. And I want to just say this to you. If we are open, if we are willing, if we are ready, I believe that God will speak clearly, succinctly, loudly, and personally to each of us. As I unpack this service, this scripture today, I want to say to you that there are three pictures that I find have very personal, practical, and helpful um, um, information, inspiration, intimacy for us. Somebody, some of the men in their classes teased me because in the bulletin there's just a blank there, and they said, "Does that mean the sermon's going to be long or short?" And I want to tell you, it means that I hadn't finished it when it was time to go to print. That's what it means, okay? But there'll be three pictures that we find here today. Picture number one is the watchman. The watchman. In all four translations, he used the term watchman. Watchmen are those people who, who stand to guard to protect us from the enemies. All four of those said watchmen, but if you read the myriad of translations and transliterations of the Bible, you'll find two other words found there. You'll find the word guard, and you'll find the word sentinel. The truth is, when you think about watchman, guard, sentinel, we get it. It's someone who stands guard to protect and watch over and guard the night watchman in a business. Well, with the advent of security systems, we don't have that as much as we did in a day past. But those night watchmen protected that business from unwanted intruders. Even today in large apartment complexes, there's a doorman, doorkeeper, gatekeeper that keeps out people who are not supposed to be in there. We use the term security. This means if somebody threatens the person under their charge, under their watch, that they sound the alarm. Watchman. It's like a watchdog who alerts when danger is coming. Watchman, sentinels, guards. Back in those days, back in the days of uh, the, Old, the Old Testament, they would stand guard on the city. They might stand guard over a community. They might out in the field, <clears throat> excuse me, stand guard over an army, and when the enemy approaches, they sound the alarm so people will know what's going happening so the soldiers can rise up and defend themselves. The Bible is full of watchmen, full of the concept of watchmen. Over 20 times in the Bible, 
the Bible refers to watchmen. In Ezekiel 3 and 33, God says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Psalm 127, God through David writes this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays alert in vain. So the watchman is the one who who presents danger when it's coming, who helps us stay on point. Ezekiel 33 goes on to tell us this. He says, suppose the watch, suppose danger comes and the watchman sees the sword coming and he doesn't blow the horn. Now I will just tell you, in that case, the blood is on the watchman's hand, the blood of the people. But what if he sounds the alarm and people don't respond? Then the blood is on their head. You see, folks, a watchman has a divine responsibility. A watchman. And yet, and yet, within the ranks of ministers today, there are many who simply will not sound the alarm. And I'm, let me just let me just not let you off the hook. The truth is, is that since Jesus is ascension, you're a watchman. You're a watchman. Comes to preachers, Vance Havner says, he has a way of spinning this. He says, a preacher will not warn men of sin. Coming judgment is a traitor in the camp. The watchman. First picture. Can you see him on the the wall? The second picture that we find here is the night. The night. Watchmen should always know something about the night, how we got there, where we go from here. I've already said that since Jesus ascended to heaven, we're all watchmen of a sort. So just think about this. Why do you think Jesus said, Eric, you are the light of the world? Why do you think he said, she told me to call on her, Danae, you are the light of the world. Why do you think that he put that on us? And why do you think Jesus asked, what do you do with the light? Do you put it under a bushel? Or do you put it on a mountainside, on a hillside so everyone can see it? I just want to say this to you. If your light is hidden, you need to bring it out where everyone can see it. And Brother Jerry, what about the lights that go out? Well, I can tell you what, at New Hope, what we do in this building when our lights go out, Mike, right now we change them to a LED LED light so they won't ever go out again. You know why? Because we want to see in the darkness. Culturally, culturally, we need our lights to shine. We need our lights to shine. And when I say our, that means mine. 
That means yours individually. That means ours as a church. Why do we need that so desperately? Why is it so urgent? Why is it so vital? And it is because the night, the darkness, is not only on top of us, it's overtaking us. Why am I so passionate about we need revival, we need our lights to shine? It's because we are living, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The night is here. Paul nailed it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's put it on the screen. I think it's there, Mitch. And he says, but know this. Don't, don't guess. Don't, but know this. Hard times, difficult times, perilous times will come. And I just want to say this to you without any reservation. We are living in perilous times. And then he goes on to say, now I could, I could unpack that for a little bit. Then he says, for people, <laughs> for people will be lovers of themselves. Have you ever lived in a day, old people like me? Have you ever seen a day, witnessed a day, when people are more in love with themselves than they are today? When they spend more money taking care of themselves? When they give more of their time just to take care of themselves? One of the ways that we got out of the Depression, one of the ways that we won the Second World War, is because we stopped worrying about ourselves and started worrying about us. People will be lovers of themselves. People will be, are you staying up there with me? People will be lovers of money. Hello? Is there one person in this room who would argue with me that the driving force of this culture is the big dollar bill? Everybody wants it. And when they get it, they don't get enough. Rockefeller was asked, richest man in the world, how much is enough? And he goes, just a little more. Because it's an insatiable thing. And then it goes on. Are you staying up there with me? It goes on and it reads, boastful, proud, demeaning. Has there ever been a time when we have been prouder? When we are too proud to fall on our knees, when we're too proud to bow our hearts and our heads and our wills and our pocketbooks and our time to Him. Proud. Has there ever been a time when put-downs and insults were more prominent? Now, social media, for all it's good, and somebody go, what good is social media? And I'll just tell you, people that ask me that are people that don't use it. There's a lot of good on social media. I'll just, let me just, can I give you just one illustration? Right now, we can go on the New Hope uh, Facebook page, and we can put something out there, and we have four or 500 people that read it, and those folks who are not on Facebook, they'll hear about it, because we're blessed with the gift of gab. But in spite of all the good that can be done from social media, there's many people that are not responsible. It's teaching us new ways to demean other people. It's just, it seems like it's 
It's like it's on steroids now. And then it says, <laughs> disobedient to parents. I want, to, I want to be clear here because I don't want this group standing, sitting right in front of me to think I'm picking on them. I think we're blessed with our, with our young people. They seem to have respect for their parents. Now, they're not perfect, but parents, don't let them get home and say, Brother Jerry said well, it was okay, so you just, that, it's okay. No, that's not the deal. They're still teenagers. They still have hormones that are going crazy. They still, their brain's not fully functional yet. So give them a cut of some slack, okay? But our, our young people tend to listen to their parents. We live in a country that is trying to help children not obey their parents. And we need, we need to understand that, that they're trying to... I mean, when you think about children being able to change their sexes without notifying their parents, girls who get in trouble have abortions without notifying their parents, just argue that case to me that we're still trying to teach that the government's trying to help our children to be obedient and respectful to their parents. It won't go very far. You see what he's saying? He's building the case right here for the society we're in. If you stay up, stay up there. And then it says ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. For me, those four are like steps. Ungrateful leads to be an unholy. Unholy leads to be unloving. And unloving leads to being irreconcilable. I've never seen such as I see on TV now. This is the culture we live in where, there is, where we're building the wrong thing. And then it says slanderers. That's basically liars. You're going to lie on somebody, hurt somebody, without self-control, brutal, liars and cheats who can't help themselves. This is the culture that we're in. And then it says, without love for what is good. I just want to pause here to say, you don't have to be a hoodlum to not love what is good. There are people among us that have chosen to love the bad instead of the good. And whatever you love, you will give your energy, you will give your finances, you will give your resources, you will give, you will give your life too. But then we get to the big one here. Lovers of pleasure... Rather than lovers of God. Just said we give our energy to what we love. Give our resources to what we love. Much as I love this congregation and being in this place, I'll just I'll say this to you. Pleasures are controlling us. But it's not a new thing. In nineteen ninety, George Barner released a book entitled The Frog and the Kettle. In that book he said, you know what, preachers? He said, you can ask a lot of things of your people as long as you don't mess with their leisure time and their pleasure. For me, this is an indi- that was an indictment. This is 30, almost 35 years later. And then he says, having a form of godliness. I want to say that again. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Basically, that means playing a game. Basically, that's what Jesus said when he quoted the prophet. He said, 
He said, they honor me with their lips and their mouths. But their hearts are far from me because they're trying to teach as doctrine the traditions of man. You see, folks, there's no way around it. We're in a mess. In my library, I have, I have some 15 books of Vance Havner. That's why I, I, I'm so pulled to him. But let me read, let me just read just one paragraph that he's written in one of his books. He says, I visit churches, and by the way, he's dead. He died in 1992, I think. I visit churches and find that saints who were born in revival fires are living in the smoke. That meeting houses have become mausoleums and that the glory has departed from the sanctuary. I read that man shall have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Sardis, that's the church in in, uh, Revelation 3, Sardis had a name to be alive but is dead. The icicles of indifference hang over the church. That ought to be melted in the fires of God. I have a deep conviction and I have a deep feeling that God has a plan and a purpose for us. We are to be the light that is powered by the very gospel of Jesus, by the good news of Jesus. I believe the night is here. I believe this scripture from Paul tells us. And I'm just telling you this. Night can be confusing. Have you ever got up in the night and all the lights are out and you tried to walk to the bathroom and one of your children moved a chair Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You can get hurt in the darkness when you don't know where everything is. You can get hurt. You can be confused. We're in the darkness. We can be confused. We're in the darkness. And we need to be careful that we don't wind up like the foolish virgins in Jesus' parable. The wise versions were ready. The foolish versions were not ready. And they were left behind. Will we be ready when Jesus returns? Will we be ready to look into his face and say, I really did my best? Will that fly? Do you want to know where night is for you? Let me just tell you, you can find it in John chapter 30. Excuse me, John chapter 13. John 13, 14, 15, and 16 are in the upper room. At the end of chapter 13, somewhere around the end, Jesus had just identified Judas as being the traitor. And the scripture records that Judas left, and it was night. That is a picture. Anytime you turn your back on Jesus, you'll be walking into the night. 
That's where our culture is. That's where our country is. The night. One more picture here. Picture that I lifted out is what I'm going to call the time. The time. Question is, what time is it? It's a night half gone, it's a night all the way gone. How long will the night last? When will it end? And the watchman said, the morning is coming. Hope's coming, but also the night. There's going to be some troubled times. It's kind of like Psalm 13 that says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The truth is, when I read this Isaiah passage, certainly it's speaking prophetically about the night. But I think it's also speaking physically about the night. I think it's speaking to us about diffusing the night as a light. Light, are y'all listening to me? Light will always chase away the darkness. So the question is today, if we're in the darkness, preacher, you've laid that case out good, we're the watchmen, what can we do? As I end this message, as we get ready for next week, I'm going to give you three things that you and I can do. Number one, we can admit it's night. A lot of people have trouble admitting things. But I believe that I believe that Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe he nailed us to the wall of where we are. And if he didn't, earlier in Isaiah, he t- he he gives paints us a picture of where we are today. Look on the screen. Isaiah f- Isaiah 5, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves. Don't you like this word? Clever. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, who are champions at pouring beer. And that's what's, woe to those who are comfortable with their sin. And who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. You know, the truth is, some people can't admit this, it's night. Some people won't admit it's night. And, and honestly, I, I'm presently, for myself, I am doing a personal study into Christian apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, that is uh, where we can prove scientifically what we believe. I always joke with you and tell you I believe in the Big Bang. God said it and bang, it's there. Listen, when you dig into modern day history, now Darwinism doesn't teach you, but that was in the 18, right at 1860. You dig into science today, there was a Big Bang. It's in the Cambrian age. And the guy who sits in the um, Wilson chair, excuse me, in the Wilson Observatory and has the uh, um, the chair of the what's the name of that Hubbler? What's the name of the telescope? Hubble. Hubble. He was just the chair of, of Professor Hubble 
He says, if you follow the science, he says, first of all, I'm an agnostic, so I have no religious axe to grind. He said, but if you follow the science and you see how, how creation began, he said, that Cambrian explosion and the biblical account go hand in hand. There may be a few things that are different, but they go hand in hand. So here's what I'm telling you, is that the closer we get to science, the more our faith and what the Bible says gets affirmed. Now, in science, what you'll discover is that, and what I've discovered is sometimes you can present people with truth in their faith, face, and they will ignore it. Why will they ignore it? Well, first of all, a lot of the scientists don't say that, the, that, that that's true. Because when they started their investigation, they ruled out the supernatural. If you're going to find the truth, you have to look at all the facts and have no parameters. You have to look and you have to discover the truth. And the, and the deal is today is that the reason some people don't believe that we're in the dark, won't admit we're in the dark, is because their prejudice won't allow them to admit it. They don't think there is dark and light. They don't think God has a better way. Second reason is that they think they know more than the truth. We may even have some folks in this room. You think you know more than the truth. You'll never admit that we're in the dark or we're in trouble. The third reason is that if they admit it, it just hurts them too much because there's so many things that they enjoy. I submit to you folks, if we will embrace... What we have read in our devotion book, even this morning as we talked about forgiving. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And you go, Brother Jerry, I didn't do that. But there's some in the back, there's some out there, some you can just pick it up. You see, the truth is, if we embrace who he is and who we are, then we will understand that we are in dark. And if we pray that thing, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Can you imagine what earth would be like if his will was done here in the same way it's done there? I have to admit it's night. I just to pause a second. Can you admit that we as a culture, as a people, are walking in darkness? The second thing I suggest to you is to acknowledge it's time. Acknowledge it's time. I, I, I read the, the Christian Standard Version most of the time. I read a lot of other translations. But in Romans 13, the, uh, uh, the translators rung my bell because they say, It's high time. It's high t- Does everybody know what high time means? I do because my mama, who lived up on Gates Road, I heard her say it. If I heard her say it once, I heard her say it a hundred times. It's high time. That means now's the time. Paul says, now is the time. The truth is, and I want you to get this, if we are in the darkness that I believe we are, the Bible teaches, and as I have expressed to you from Second Timothy, here's what I want you to know. I may say it twice so you can get it. 
darkness will never go away on its own. Now, let me say that again. Darkness will never go away on its own. Did you realize darkness is something God didn't have to create? You go to Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth without form and void and darkness settled over the deep. See, God hadn't turned the lights on yet. And darkness is the absence of light. The truth is, if the light doesn't shine, the darkness prevails. When the first couple chose to be disobedient, darkness fell over their soul. That's the darkness that was spoke of as death. And that darkness, are you listening? That darkness has, felt, has been over every soul who has ever been born since the first couple. And the only way the darkness goes away is for the light of Jesus to come in. Folks, it's time to turn the lights on. It's time for us to turn the lights on in our schools. It's time to turn the lights on in the grocery store. It's time to turn the lights on in, in the restaurant. Let me just say this to you. you know, Some of you are going to leave here and go out to lunch. Some of you go out to lunch tomorrow or the next day. When our daughter was a waiter, waitress, I guess, do you know that the staff argued? This was Red Lobster. It's gone now. Katrina blew it away. This is, they argued over who had, who had to work on Sunday. None of them wanted to work on Sunday. Do you know why, Pud? You do know why. The church people came there and they ate and they were the hardest to please and they tipped the least. They were cheap. Folks, it's time for us to turn the light on that people will know that we can live open-handed in this tight-fisted world. That we can, that we can share and, and show the light of Jesus wherever we go. It's time! And so... The third thing I would suggest to you is to accept that it's you. When it comes to spiritual things and sharing our light, too often we want everybody else to do it, not us. Let the preacher do it. Let the deacons do it. Let the Sunday school teachers do it. Here's the truth that can't be changed. God has called you. Hello? God has called you. And when He came into your life, He gave you the joy and the peace that only comes from Him. And what have you done with it? You see, you see, please listen. God has called you to be saved. If there's someone here that has never trusted in the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus, today should be the day. Because He died for you so you don't have to live in darkness, so you don't have to walk in darkness. He, he saved you. Now, if you're sitting here and you've never received Jesus in just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Brother Kevin will be over here. I'll be over here. And we'll be glad to talk to you and pray with you that you can be saved. God's called every person in this room to be saved. But listen, it doesn't stop being saved. He calls you to be sanctified, which is a fancy word for saying set apart, spirit-filled, discipled. He's called you to go the next step. It's a journey. It's not a point in time. 
He called you to be sanctified and then He called you to serve. How do we serve? We serve Him by serving others. And how do we do that? By letting our light shine. Man, we used to sing that. I think that may be one of the things that we don't do today that we need to do with our kids. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Man, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be letting our light shine. The time is now, and it's you, it's me. So let me end this. Do you like the dark? Do you like the dark? And some of you go, well, yeah, I think I do. Well, you know what the Bible says about that. I want you to think about John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and they talk about being born again, all this. And Jesus says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And you know what it says down in verse 19? It says that men love the darkness rather than the light. Do you love the darkness? Truth is, the darkness, <laughs> I don't want to be crass here, but when we used to live in those houses that were so bug-infested, you didn't want to walk into a room and turn the lights on. I remember walking in the room many times and when we had in those wooden houses. You turned the lights on, and all the roaches had to get out of the bed. Hello? Because they were afraid of the light. Are you willing to be the one who will erase the darkness? Do you in this room we have enough here to erase the darkness? We have enough people in this room here to erase the darkness. We have enough people in this room to erase the darkness so that revival can come. The question is, Will we? What of the night? It's around us. But it doesn't have to control us. Because we're tied to the light of lights. Let's pray together.